0: What can the U.S. learn from voting processes in other countries? What role can technology play in increasing the accessibility of voting? What challenges does society face in encouraging voter turnout? From the Chicago Policy Review and the University of Chicago, this is Chicago Policy Radio. I'm your host, Julie Cooper. Today we are joined by David Orr, County Clerk for Cook County, Illinois. As Cook County Clerk, Mr. Orr is the Chief Election Authority of one of the largest election jurisdictions in the U.S. He has been a tireless advocate for voters' rights, helping to implement the Motor Voter Law and Early Voter Registration in Illinois, among other accomplishments. His expertise in elections has led to extensive travel as a speaker and election monitor, as well as numerous awards. Prior to becoming county clerk in 1991, Mr. Orr represented Chicago's Rogers Park neighborhood as alderman from 1979 to 1990. He served as vice mayor under Chicago Mayor Harold Washington, and following Washington's death in 1987, served as mayor for a week during which time he was recognized for his strong and sensible leadership during one of the most tumultuous periods in Chicago's political history. In addition to his day job, Mr. Orr is a senior fellow at the Harris School of Public Policy. Clerk Orr, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Uh, I'd like to focus our conversation today on your work around voters' rights. Just to set the context for our conversation, how would you verbalize what is at stake in making voter registration and voting itself easier, more convenient, and more accessible?
1: Well, what's at stake is whether or not our democracy survives. Um, If you have too many roadblocks to people, whether it's blatant voter suppression that we see happening in some places, or just bureaucracy, uh, that could really harm the democracy because people will either not be allowed to vote or give up voting. If they have a bad experience, Um, they may not come back. Now of course we wish they would, but not everybody um, is like a class A citizen. So it's very dangerous when there's roadblocks put into a democracy because for democracy to work you've got to represent people and a fewer people vote than what you're really doing is representing a few people and what their interests are.
0: The Supreme Court uh, struck down a key part of the Voting Rights Act this past summer arguing that the regulations in place to prevent voter discrimination in uh, nine states were based on outdated data. Uh, Sort of going more along the lines of uh, the last comment, what are the implications of this particular decision for voters' rights, and do they extend past the nine affected states?
1: Well, the repercussions are very, very serious. This is a very damaging uh, court decision, and yes, they do extend beyond those nine states. Uh, First, the reason it's so dangerous is the court... Uh, with no particular reason, kind of like they did in the Bush case of 2000, stepped into a situation and basically gutted a very important um, part of our law, which basically said states with a history of discrimination, um, they had to file their suggestions for voting changes first with the Justice Department, called preclearance. They basically gutted that, and their argument was, well, maybe the data isn't up to date. Now the irony, that's the court acting, and yet by every uh, conservative, liberal standards, the court is supposed to have some respect for the role of the Congress. The Congress, just a few years earlier, if it wasn't a unanimous vote, it was all, almost. okay. Republicans and Democrats alike voted to extend the Voting Rights Act knowing exactly that provision was there, preclearance, because we've seen many cases um, of discrimination. And then, I guess the proof of the pudding is, is literally seconds after the court acted, several states passed draconian measures to um, uh, repress voters. Just one one example, okay? You take Texas, and it's not all just voter ID issues. So Texas uh, passes a law uh, arguing that it needs to have photo IDs, even though in their brief they admitted that hundreds of thousands of people would have to re-register. They also admitted they couldn't find one single case of voter impersonation, which is the goal of, of having a voter ID. Um, However, they also passed a law, part of that law said, if you're a student, and there's thousands of students, college students in Texas, and you have the ID um, from the State Department of Education, the Texas State Department of Education, that still would be no good. You'd have to start over. Um, So yes, that was a very serious blow, um, and the the problem is Congress, uh, knowing we've got the split in Congress, we know nothing will happen, although there's some good efforts around the country to try to change, change that.
0: Um, going a little bit further on the, the voter fraud issue, uh, you've been an advocate for the increased use of technology to make uh, both the registration and voting processes more efficient and accessible. Do you have any concerns about issues relating to privacy of, in, privacy of information, identity fraud, or are there pitfalls like the ones that have come along with the digitization of other parts of our daily lives I'm thinking for instance about the recent credit card breach at Target for instance.
1: Well concerns yes uh, always we should be concerned um, both about security about privacy um, we just have to be on top of it because there's always people that are going to try and steal records steal votes if they could uh, or make things difficult so yes you need to be on the other hand I think a technology if used wisely can be very helpful For example, in big places like Cook County, when you've got a requirement for four different languages that people can vote on, um, having uh, technology can allow a voter when they walk in to pick the language they want without having to have 25 different sheets of paper. So there's a lot of advantage of technology, particularly in the registration process, and there's lots we can do and do do on the privacy. Uh, For example, we've made sure in Illinois that when people have to give a social security number, it's only the last four digits. So there's things people can do. We don't have to have everybody's information, and I think that's important to to protect the privacy, protect the security. There's a lot of things we do um, in elections nowadays with audits. Uh, We even do something uh, fairly unusual. Uh, It might only be two places in the country do it called forensic testing. So here in Cook County, what we do is because we're always trying to guard against that possibility of someone uh, trying to um, insert malicious software somehow into the voting process never been done, but you always have to be alert to it. The forensic testing gives us at least kind of a camera shot of the ballot before the election as it's being prepared on election day and afterwards. Um, And we believe with all these uh, audits and um, redundancies that we would catch something. Now, So far everything's been fine, knock on wood, Uh, but yes, we should be concerned that shouldn't stop us though from using technology to make um, registration easier and to make voting easier.
0: And can you just uh, talk a little bit about some of the uh, technology innovations that Cook County has been uh, participating in in terms of these processes?
1: Okay. Well, right now, for example, um, a lot of people—it's legal in Illinois for all people to vote by mail. Okay. Places like Oregon or Washington, everybody votes by mail. Um, but now the new technology allows us to say to everybody, if you want to apply for your application to vote by mail online, you can do it really important. A lot of these applications come in the Thursday before the election. If by the time snail mail gets the ballot back to them, maybe too late to vote. So that's one thing. Uh, this summer we'll institute a new program called Online Voter Registration, uh, particularly helpful for younger folks, but the bottom line is people, because we move so much, our biggest problem in, in the U.S. in keeping people on the rolls is because they're so mobile. and. Uh, unlike other countries, we tend to be pretty strict on how we enforce that. So online voter registration simply means someone can grab their phone, a tablet, and simply um, you know, register online. When California did that before the 2012 general election, uh, hundreds of thousands of people registered in the last, the last couple of weeks. Uh, so there's many things like that that we're doing. Um, also, because of technology, we have early voting going on right now in, without Illinois and Chicago and Cook County. The technology allows us, when Julie Co- Cooper goes to, let's say, vote early in Evanston, Illinois, um, and then she says, you know what, I think I'll cheat. I'm going to go vote in Skokie too. Well, by the time she gets to Skokie, everything's in the computer. If she shows up in Skokie, she's already voted. So technology actually can help us in a lot of ways too.
0: The United States is one of the lowest voter turnout rates among Western countries, even compared to other countries who don't have compulsory voting. Besides uh, the um, practices to make registration and voting easier, what are some strategies that you think would be useful in increasing turnout?
1: Well one is, uh, we've got a new strategy here we're working on, we call it All In. Because um, one of our big problems, as I made reference to, is that we have about 75% of eligible um, folks registered, uh, and that's one of the problems with the uh, the U.S. Other other places, you turn 18, you're automatically registered, and there's a lot of data sharing by government agencies. Here, we tend to put the burden on the local places. We don't use the data, we don't share it very well. So all-in means to us is that while protecting the privacy. Uh, we would share data. So, for example, um, you interact only maybe at three, four, sometimes less years with a driver's facility if you're getting um, your driver's license. But you have to, every year, renew you know, the driver's um, plate, okay? Get the sticker for the plate. So there's so many things like that if you shared that data. What it would mean is you could um, update people's um, data right away, which means that these t- millions of people who fall off the rolls could ought to be kept on. So if we did a lot of things, okay, including sharing this data, um, ensuring working with other states to share data with them when people have moved out of Cook County or into Cook County, people who have died in other places, if you share all that, we could probably move from the 75% of eligible folks who are registered to closer to 98%.
0: And what about reaching out to to younger voters, as you sort of alluded to? Um, I know that you have been very active in uh, registering. Now 17-year-olds in Illinois can vote in the primary, assuming they'll be 18 by November. Do you think, though, that there are things that we should be doing in our civics education or other types of um, education that we should be promoting in order to engage uh, upcoming voters.
1: Yes. Absolutely. We, we forget that you can't have a good democracy or a good representative form of democracy if you don't have uh, engaged, you know, uh, citizens trained in some way. And because of our push for you know, other important things, clearly we need to test well, we need to do well in the sciences and math and so forth, but the bottom line is, is, is we've not kept up, particularly in our schools. Uh, now there are individual schools that do wonderful things. But in terms of basic requirements so that people have some opportunity to engage in what you might call civic education participation, uh, we're very low on that and that hurts us. Um, so we need to do more. Um, but you know we can do these things like we can allow people to register before election, or register and vote before election day, give opportunities to people to vote. Um, we still have to understand that um, Those are processes that we can improve. I think the biggest challenge, which is more demanding, is part of the reason people don't participate is they've given up on the system. And they recognize that money seems to be controlling, that, you know, why do certain people go to jail and others? Why do certain people get elected and others don't? Why do you have to be a millionaire to run for office? So there's um, a cynicism, and unfortunately some of it is true. Um, And the court just ruled that uh, basically, uh, corporations can give whatever they want and so in their mind, freedom means the billionaire can contribute a billion and the poor person can contribute a dollar and that is freedom. So that has caused enormous problems and the people see it. So you have, you have worse representation and therefore people tend to give up. So while we do these things to make things more convenient or we do this all-in philosophy I'm talking about or we allow 17-year-olds to vote we've got to tackle the bigger questions of the money in politics and how that, unfortunately, is shaping an agenda that is not attractive to most voters.
0: During your travels as a speaker and election monitor, have you seen examples in other countries of particularly good regulations or processes around voting or things that perhaps are making their turnout stronger than we see in the U.S.?
1: Well, first, for someone who administers elections, it's such a great experience. It's like any person, if you if you work in juvenile justice, to see places other than Cook County. So it's a great thing, because you see things, you see how people grapple with it in different ways. Um, one, our elections are much more complicated. In many places around the world, there's just one, two, three, four parties on the ballot, but there's not thousands of candidates. That's uh, very different, for example, than here, where we have so many different races on each election. But so, for example, in Bangladesh... Uh, they 've improved their system, but they still up until you know a few years ago they basically vote on paper, which is fine and at the end of the day they 'd throw the ballots on the floor and they 'd sit around and you 'd count them and then you'd double check you know I might be party X and I would count yours and you would count mine and we 'd agree you know that 's the exact number of votes for each candidate and there 's nothing wrong with that system um, it 's a labor intensive, but the fact is um, it works for them. Um, but there are other places that are doing things that could challenge us. For example, a lot of places have a cooling-off period. What that means is that in many places, um, campaign is supposed to stop. Uh, mo- most places vote on a weekend, often on a Sunday, so the campaign would maybe stop Friday or Saturday. Uh, our, in our case, we're still campaigning. If the polls close at 7 o'clock, they're still campaigning. And of course, in the U.S., um, because the time changes, you know, people can still be campaigning um, And people have already voted, but they're still campaigning. So that's something to look at. Also, other countries have done a better job than we have in terms of limiting spending or trying to make the spending a little more fair. Okay? A big problem for us. Now, a tougher thing is some countries are actually trying to to limit the blatant lies and mistruths. And unfortunately, at least in my view, uh, the preponderance now of election campaigning, particularly on media and in uh, mail, is pretty bad. Um, It's so easy to distort reality and there's really nothing going on in the US to try and fight that. Every now and then there might be a TV station, an individual that tries to challenge it. Um, Now of course the word censorship would scare people but there are countries out there trying to deal with it. How do we set some limits? How do we, um, you know, short of libel, what could we do? Very serious problem. Others are grappling. We're trying to stay away. Um, so there's lots of things um, as they struggle to um, decide what's Democratic. I mean, one thing that they try and do a little better than us is there. there's no such thing as a totally objective board, the people that run elections. See, in the U.S., most of us are elected officials, and I think it's fair for someone to question, well, Mr. Orr, I hear you're, you run the Democratic primary. How do we know you'll be fair to the Republicans or the Greens or anybody else in your district? Um, and of course, that's similar, American be unfair to people too, um, but in most places around the world, those people who actually run elections um, are not elected, which doesn't guarantee that they'll be nonpartisan, um, but they they try and be nonpartisan, and that's important it's hard to get there because a uh, nonpartisan a name sometimes happens. somebody has to pick them. But I do think that's something we need to think about and try and move forward to um, so, so there's a lot of things that you can learn.
0: Finally, uh, you have run for office nine times and are up again for re-election this year, and you have never lost an election. Uh, Besides your duties as county clerk, uh, do you have a particular election day routine?
1: Um, Yes, Um, part of my election routine is going and visiting precincts, and I think part of that is a little bit of push and pull. I like doing it, and frankly, I think my staff likes me to do it because they like to have me out of their hair when I'm, what's going on here, how come this blah, blah, blah. Um, so usually it's up very early. Sometimes there's uh, TV stations and others that want a quick interview early in the morning. And then um, I tend to go out with a team. And we 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 go all around the county. Um, we may go to usually precincts that we expect maybe some trouble. Or as a day unfolds, it may be that we heard that they had a problem there. They were short sure of judge. They equipment wasn't working. So um, it's a good way to... Um, Be seeing what's going on talking with the judges talking with the voters if need be trying to quote fix problems the same time You're constantly in contact um, Computer and phone with the office dealing with problems that arise So I spend a good part of my day doing that and then there's a little bit of a lull you know between five and seven and then uh, with results nowadays coming in so early uh, that Basically, a lot of times we just we're going straight till two, three four in the morning it, It's enjoyable because there's a lot of nice people there's people uh, I, I like seeing the various campaigns kind of fighting it out the people outside passing literature and it's fun to see them. It's fun for me to see the judges and how they act and um, to see if they've learned all we've at least tried to teach them um, so it's a good learning experience um, and it's also valuable they like seeing you or possible although there's you know, thousands of precincts so you just do your best, but that's, that's the routine.
0: Great. Well, thank you so much, Clerk Orr, for being with us. My pleasure. Uh, thank you for listening to Chicago Policy Radio, a production of the Chicago Policy Review and the Harris School of Public Policy at the University of Chicago. Our podcast was produced and edited by Julie Cooper. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ryan Gee. You can find us at www.chicagopolicyreview.org. Thanks for listening and join us again next time.